Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. So there's things in our lives that kind of point back to how we're feeling at the moment. So let me show you guys something. I'm not going to give this away because I have, this is my personal allowance each month, 20 bucks. So you guys see this, $20, this is nice, okay? I'm not giving it to anyone. But this $20, okay, even though it's just a piece of paper, it's actually more than that. It does more than that. It does more than just buy things. What it does is it shows a lot about someone's heart. This guy right here, right, the $20 piece of paper. This shows a lot about someone's heart. Let me give you an example. How we manage, okay, the things that we own, like this, like money, that exposes what our hearts value most, okay? We got to get that. That's a key concept for tonight. How we manage the things that we own exposes what our hearts value most. So what I do with this $20, it's not bad, right? Money is good. But how I manage this, what I do with my money, that's going to expose, right? It's going to shine a spotlight on my heart. Um, and what it values most. So if I'm someone who I'd rather spend more money on myself um, than tithe because I, maybe I don't want to give, um, manage my money in that way where I tithe and I just want to spend it selfishly, then my heart, it's, it's going to show what it values in that instance. So that's money, right? Money is an example of that where um, how we manage the things we have, how we manage the things we own, it ultimately exposes what our hearts value most. Here's another example. I want to see hands, okay? I'm going to be shocked if not more than 90% of the hands go up. How many of you have an Instagram? Wow. I don't, okay, there's a few of you. There's a few. That's like at least 90%. Um, so Instagram, okay? That's something that we own, right? Instagram, we all, we, most of us have one. Um, how you manage your Instagram, even though it's not like, a, like money physically that you own, but how we manage our Instagrams on our phones, on our computers, whatever it is, social media, um, that exposes what our heart values most. For instance, if you're on Instagram and you post a picture and there's this sense of urgency that you have to get a certain amount of likes and you're like, dude, I, like, I didn't get the triple digits, man. I only hit double digits. You're like, I got to take it down, right? If that's you, if you're like, man, I didn't, we laugh, but it's true, right? Because there's some times where like, I just didn't get a certain amount of likes and now like I'm uneasy. That's not all of us, but it's just an example, right? Our, that exposes what our heart values most. We value people's perception of us, how others perceive us. And so if we don't get those triple digits, okay, the one zero zero, then we might take it down or we might feel some anxiety or we might want to take five other pictures until we get one that we like. And so how we manage even our Instagram accounts exposes what our heart values most. So this is huge. This is going to be a concept um, that we're, we're looking at um, today in Luke chapter 12. And so as you guys see on the, the screen, it says rich man, poor heart. Have you guys ever seen uh, Friday Night Lights? Yes. Have you guys ever seen that? <laughs> Do you know where he's like, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Let me hear it. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Okay, well, calm down. All right. But I came up with this phrase. I was like, rich man, poor heart, can't live. You guys will see more about that. But rich man, poor heart, he can't live. So you'll see more about that. But just keep that, that thing in your head, okay? So we'll see. We'll see what that is. But today, we're going to see a man who was rich, okay? We're going to see a man who had things, right? He had a lot of things, like that dollar bill that I had, right? He had a lot of this, a lot. And we're going to see what his heart values most based off 
of how he managed that money, how he managed the goods that he had. And ultimately, when we see how he managed those things, we're going to see what his eternity looks like. We're going to see that. And so, we're going to read about this man. It's in Luke chapter 12, so if you guys want to open up to that, it will be on the screen. Um, We're going to go through, I'm going to read all um, verses 13 through 21 right now, and then we'll go verse by verse to explain it. But ultimately, right, how we manage the things that we own, it exposes what our hearts value most. And we're going to see what this man owns, how he manages it, and how that shows where he spends eternity. So here we go, Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, someone approaches Jesus, they say, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, so now Jesus is responding, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Man, that's a lot, a lot of content there. Powerful stuff. So let's um, break it down. We're going to go through the first three verses um, and go through this. So verse 13, it starts out, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, so here's Jesus, and here's this man. This man approaches Jesus and says, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide this inheritance with me. Okay? So first of all, you got the brother comp, like the, the situation, right? Where this, this guy, he has a brother, and they're both fighting over their father's inheritance. And so there's this money that's going to be split up. And this guy, not only are, are they fighting over something that a lot of us value, which is money, but now they're brothers. Okay? It's not like they're just, you know, random people. They're brothers. You guys all know the sibling conflict, right? Do you guys have siblings? You know it. Okay? So this just amplifies the situation. So he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He's asking Jesus to come in the middle of their situation and make peace. He's saying, listen, there's this money. I I want this. You needed to help us divide this up. And so they approach Jesus in hopes that Jesus will solve their problem. But Jesus had some other plans. Look how Jesus responds to him. So they're coming up to him with this sense of desperation. And in verse 14, we see this. But he said to him, so Jesus is responding, he says, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? He says, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? So Jesus, he, even, he, he doesn't just respond to this guy, he responds with a question. He says, Who made me the judge over you guys? Right? These two, this, this guy comes up and says, my brother and I, blah, blah, we get that. And he says, Jesus, fix this, we have a dispute between us, fix it, um, calm us down, fi- fix the situation. These men are saying, Jesus, why don't you look at my situation and hear that, and why don't you hear my brother's uh, point of view, and then off of those two points of view, teacher, you can help us fix it. And Jesus says, am I your judge? Who made me judge over you? Right? Jesus, he doesn't confront the situation head on. He doesn't. 
He doesn't respond to them. He doesn't say, okay, well, you tell me your side, and then, well, you tell me your side. And based off of that, I'll, I'll kind of process that. Let me go talk to my friends, and then we'll get back to you and figure out this dispute. Jesus doesn't do that. Why not? Jesus doesn't confront this dispute because he's about to confront something a lot bigger than that. Right? He's about to confront something that's a lot bigger. He's about to confront their hearts. Okay? Jesus could have fixed this dispute. He could have said, listen, you take this money, you take this money and leave. And all he was going to do was fix the situation. He was going to change their behavior and modify it and, and fix that. But he's not getting at the root of the problem, which is the heart. And so Jesus, knowing that, he doesn't confront the situation. He confronts their hearts. And let's see what he says about their hearts. He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So before we get too deep into that, we got to realize that when Jesus confronts you, right, when he confronts us, he confronts your heart. All right, we've seen these first few verses that when Jesus confronts you, he confronts your heart. Sin isn't just this thing in our lives that we just do, and there's like, no reason why we do it, right? Sin is simply a manifestation of what's in your heart. And so it's not just something that's external that you just do, and then if you stop that, the problem's over, right? Sin is something that's first in your heart, and then based off of what's in your heart, that manifests itself in the actions that you do called sin, right? It's not just something that you do, it's something within your heart. And so when Jesus confronts us, he just doesn't confront a situation, your behavior, he confronts your heart, and what's crazy is if we want to grow, we can't try to avoid confrontation with, with Christ through his community, through his spirit, through his word. We can't avoid those things. We have to allow Jesus to confront our hearts only in the loving way that he can. And so in this situation, Jesus, he doesn't fix the dispute. And we're about to see what he says about the heart. But before we do that, we've got to understand that Jesus, when he confronts us, he confronts our hearts. And so let's see specifically what he tells these men about their hearts. He said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This is huge. We have to understand what this means. The word covetousness right there, that's huge, right? And we'll break down what that means in a second. But Jesus is saying, you got to be on guard against this thing. You've got to be on guard against this because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But what does that word to covet mean? What does it mean? Let me read this to you. And we'll, we'll go into a, another verse to show that. But to covet is simply this. It's to desire something, to pursue something in the way that you should desire God. Okay? To covet is to desire something in the way that you desire God. It's not this thing where you say, I just want to, I just, like, I just, I enjoy this thing, so I'm just going to, you know, I enjoy sports, I'm going to do it. No. It's I desire this thing in a way that I should desire God. I don't just enjoy this thing as a good thing. I'm trying to pursue it so I can worship it as the ultimate thing. All right? You desire something and pursue something in the way that you should desire and pursue God. Colossians 3.5 puts it this way. And we'll learn what this word covet means. It says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, same word that we see here, which is idolatry. 
he's saying to covet is to idolize something. All right? So when we see here in Luke, when it says take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, we see that he's saying be on your guard against things that you'll idolize. And Tim Keller, I think, wraps this up perfectly, what it means to idolize. When he says to covet or to idolize is to turn a good thing into an ultimate thing. And so in this passage, we see, they saying, be on guard against those things in your life that are good, but you're tempted to misplace to be the ultimate thing. To pursue, not just as a good thing, but to pursue it as the ultimate thing. To pursue it in the way that you should pursue God. So in Colossians 3.5, we see that to covet is to idolize something. And then the reason why. He says, be on your guard against that. Why? He says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He's saying, your life, right? Life is not found in what you have. Life is not found in the abundance or how much you have. Who you are is not determined by what you have. He's saying your value is not found in the valuables that you have. He says, be on guard against idolizing and pursuing things in the way you should pursue God. Why? Because those things that you pursue, those earthly things, they don't give you life. Right? Life is not found in the abundance of your possessions. It's not found in the abundance of your possessions. Man, so we see in this first few verses the importance Right, of what's in the heart. We see this situation, it's manifesting itself in this argument, this dispute, and yet Jesus, he's not just worried about that. Right? He's worried about what's in your heart. And so here's my question. Is those things in your life, right? He says, be on guard against those things that you covet. What are those things in your life that you don't just enjoy as a good thing, but you worship as the ultimate thing? What are those things in your life that you don't just enjoy, but now you've crossed over and now you worship it? What are those things in your life that you feel, if you lost that, that you would lose a part of yourself? And what we see here is that we ought to be on guard. Why? Because life is not found in those things. Even if you attain it, life is not found in those things. And Satan, he's someone who he, he seduces us, right? He tempts us with things that we feel give us life. He seduces us with things that feel good in the moment, and ah, just it feels like we're getting life from that. But in reality, those very things that we try to find life in, right, the abundance of our possessions, we actually find death. And so Satan tempts us. He seduces us with those things that we think bring us life, but actually produces death in us. And so let's see, right? We see that Jesus confronts their hearts. We see what he says about it. But now he's going to go more in depth. He's going to confront it in a specific way. And let's see how he does that. In verse 16, we're going to go 16 through 20. And he told them a parable saying, so we're about to hear the story of the rich man with a poor heart. Here we go. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Instantly, 
how does he confront their hearts, right? We see what he said to them. We see that he, instead of confronting the situation, he confronts their hearts, and he does it through a parable, right? He's using a parable, which is an allegorical story to bring it up about a point or a lesson in which we can learn from. And so this is the story. He sets up the context right here in the first verse in 16. We see the context of the story that's going to inform the rest of the story. He says this. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully the land of a rich man produced plentifully. All of us, we're, and we're going to learn more, it's going to be confirmed that this man is a farmer, right? It says the land of a rich man. So we see that this man has land, he's a farmer, he's a rich man, and his crops produced very well. And so this man got very wealthy, very wealthy, based off of how well he farmed. And what we see here, or actually what we don't see within this, within this verse, is we don't see that, that Jesus confronts uh, this story and says, this man is evil because he had tons of money, right? This man was rich and his crops were plentiful, but man, I, I look down on that, right? He's a successful farmer. He's making all this money. That's bad, right? Jesus doesn't say that. He simply says that there was a rich man who produced plentifully. And so in this, we learn a very valuable lesson that it's not bad to be successful, right? It's not bad to want to pursue financial success or to have prosperity, do you guys ever feel, as Christians, do you ever feel that it's like, you kind of feel almost icky to like, and gross, and almost like hesitant to want to be successful? Do you ever feel like that hesitancy to say, I mean, I know I'm supposed to live for Jesus, and one of the ways that I do that is I don't pursue financial success, or I shouldn't want to have a house someday, or a nice car, or clothes. I shouldn't want to do that. Do you guys ever feel that way? Like, I feel that way a lot sometimes, where it's like, I want to pursue godliness, but to be godly means I can't have nice things. Do I have to sell all my stuff and just like wear the same shirt like Chris Haney does every single day? I don't know. All right, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't actually tell him I said that. Um, he's in California right now serving the Lord, so pray for him. But so all I'm saying is there, there are times, right? I mean, I lost my track. Sorry, Chris. You got me there. Um, so yeah, he uses a parable, right? Um, and so, and it, what it's showing is that with this man, there are those things in our life where sometimes we say, I, I can't, you, you almost confuse godliness with legalism, right? Or to be godly um, and then moralism, and, and we blur those lines. And we say, oh, in order to be godly, I just have to be a legalistic, moralistic person. I got to do the list of do's and don'ts, and if I do that, I'll work my way to God. Rather than saying, God, my righteousness isn't found in what I do and do not do. It's found in what you've already done for me. And so we see that, man, it's okay to pursue these things. It's okay to have good things. It's okay to enjoy wealth. It's okay um, to pursue that uh, house and a car. It's okay to have those things. Those are good things. God gave us things to enjoy in this earth, and it's okay to enjoy those things. And God, right, Jesus, he does not condemn the man um, for enjoying those things. God doesn't look down. He doesn't forbid this man from enjoying those things. God does forbid worshiping those things, right? But here we see that God does not forbid this man for enjoying those things, for having those things. And so we see the context, right? Jesus gives us some background um, of what's happening here. And now we're going to see the inner thoughts of this rich man. So Jesus tells us about him. He's rich. That's all we know. But we're about to get inside the head and the heart of this guy, okay? So let's see this. Let's check this out. In verse 17, and he thought to himself, so the rich man, he, he's thinking, we're going to hear his inner thoughts. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. This is like, 
right here, this verse, like everything hinges on this right now in this passage. This is huge. He poses the question, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? He's basically saying, how shall I manage the things that I have? How am I going to manage this? I have tons of crops, tons of wealth. What am I going to do with it? And remember, we see that how we manage the things that we own, right, exposes what our hearts value most. And so we got to understand the gravity of this question, the importance of this. How he answers this question, how am I going to manage the crops that I have, the riches, it's going to show us and shine the spotlight on this rich man's heart and what he values most. And ultimately, it's going to show us where he's spending his eternity. All right? And so this question is huge. And before we even get into the answer, we have to understand um, the immensity of this, the gravity of it, why it's so important. Right? His response is going to show us, um, his eternity is going to show us what his heart values most. And so he says, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And we've got to understand the gravity of this, right? So let me read a verse for you guys. In Proverbs 4.23, right? We, we see that how we manage the things we have, right? It exposes what our hearts value most because the things that we do are ultimately what? They're a reflection of what's in here. It's a reflection of what's in our heart, right? We said that sin was a manifestation of what's in your heart. It's not just something you do. It's something that's within you first. And so Proverbs 4.23, it says this. It says, above all else, guard. Guard your heart, right? Did we not just see that too? It says, take care and be on your guard. Guard your heart against um, coveting things. Right here in Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. He says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Man, I think Proverbs is painting a pretty clear picture that every single action that we have, every single action that we do, it's because it's first in our heart, right? What's in our heart that ultimately determines and it influences the actions that we have in our lives, right? And that's why when he says, how am I going to manage the things that I have, that's going to expose what's in his heart because what he's doing with these things, how he's managing it, that's flowing out from his heart. And that's why he says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything that we do flows from our hearts. And so we're about, when he responds to this in the next verse, we're going to see in the next two verses, we're going to see what's in his heart by his response. He's going to, he's going to answer the question how he manages those things, and we're going to see that. And based off his answer, we'll see what's in his heart. But first, before we see what's in this man's heart, we have to confront ourselves and say, man, what's in your heart? What is in your heart? I want you to think about it. What's in your heart? And you may be thinking, I, I don't know. I don't know. To, I, it's, it's easy. We'll see what's in this man's heart by his response. But then you pose the question, how do I know what's in my own heart? How do you know? You could guess, right? You could say, I think there's some selfishness in there. I think there's some pride. I think I'm lusting after certain things I shouldn't. I think I'm, I'm like maybe taking good things that are like good in life and I'm putting them in a place where God should be. But I don't know. It's kind of like, it's kind of a fog. So how do you know, right? I'm asking you guys, what is in your heart? But how are you to know that? Check this out. This is like 100%. This never fails, okay? This n- I will tell you guys, you're not ready for this. I'm going to tell you the key to know what is in your heart. It never fails. It's fail-proof. It's foolproof and all that. 
without a doubt, it never, ever fails you. 100% of the time, 110% of the time, you will know what's in your heart by this. You guys ready? You ready? I don't think you're ready for this, all right? You will know what's in your heart simply by this. It's how you act. You're like, what? Right? How you act, how you manage the things that you own, what you do, that is ultimately going to show you what's in your heart. Right? We don't have to fool ourselves. We don't have to guess. Man, if you want someone to just tell you straight up what's in your heart, look at how you act. Look at your actions. Look at how you live your life. Right? Because how we manage the things that we own reflects what our heart values most. What you do is a reflection of what's in your heart. The sin in your life is a reflection of what's in your heart. All these things that you're doing, those are an outflowing, right? We see in Proverbs of what's in your heart. And so you want to know what's in your heart? I'll give you some questions. You want to know what's in your heart? Man, how, what are you posting on Facebook? Think about it. What are you posting on Facebook? How, do you, how are you posting things on Facebook? Right? Facebook is this platform to, to socialize and things like that, but you can tell a lot about someone's heart and what they value based on what they post on Facebook. You can. Think about it. You want to know what's in your heart? Check your Facebook. Another example, we talked about it, Instagram, right? About if you don't get the triple-digit likes or you, you, you take 20 pictures to get a good one and you just you want to look good and, and, and you value people's perception so you have that sense of urgency to get those likes and the followers, right? Based on how you manage your Instagram account, based on what you post, that's ultimately going to reflect what your heart values, right? If you show a little extra something-something to get some more likes or more followers, man, it shows what your heart values, how you conduct yourself with your family, right? Your parents, your siblings, and you say, oh, well, it's my family. It's my siblings. You know, we don't get along at all. My family, it's just, it's family, right? But how you conduct yourselves within the home, that's going to reflect what's in your heart, right? And we could go on and on and on. Those are just a few examples, but we could talk about a million different examples. Being on your, your sports team, on the field, how you play, how you interact, how you submit to authority, all these different things in the classroom with your friends, all these things that you do are a reflection of what's in your heart. And so we're about to see what's in this man's heart. We're about to see by how he responds. But first, I want us to think, what's in your heart? What's in your heart? In order for you to know, discover that, to get the window to your soul, the window to your heart, to see it without a doubt, just look at the things that you do. Look at how you manage the things that you own. And I promise you, 100% of the time, it will never fail you. You will see what is in your heart. And so my prayer is that when you guys hear that, you don't pray for God to just make you a better little boy or little girl. You don't pray that God just changes your behavior and makes you a better person. Or you don't try harder to reach some level of morality. The prayer is to say, God, change my heart, right? God, don't just change my behavior, right? That will come. But first, God, change my heart. Because we see that everything we do is a reflection of what's in the heart. And so if we're saying, I just got to change my behavior, I'll become a better person, right? Man, we're missing out, right? When Jesus confronts us, he confronts what? He confronts our hearts. And so when we say to God, God, I want to be a changed person, we say, God, confront my heart, change my heart, grow my heart, and from that, my life will be changed. So what's in your heart? And so let's see this man. He, he asks the question to himself, what shall I do with all these crops? And we're about to see his response. And from this response, right, we're going to see what his heart values and ultimately the rest of his eternity, where it's going to be spent. He says this in verse 17, right? We're going to read the question again and then his response. He says, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. 
And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Wow. You see what that guy says, the rich man? He says, what shall I do with all these, the things that I have, all the riches? And what he says is, I'm going to tear down my barns, okay? He says, I'm going to tear down my barns. He doesn't say, well, I have a barn. I might just tear down. He says barns. That's like plural. He has multiple barns already, right? He's already got plenty of things that he's storing up for himself. And he says, I'm going to tear those down, the barns, the plural, plurality of barns, with things that are already full, right? We assume that they're already full because he's got to tear them down. And he says, I'm going to build larger ones. Man, so this dude's already got plenty of storage, plenty of things. He could live fine. And now he's saying, I'm going to take those barns down. I'm going to build larger ones. But why would he do that? To store his goods there. And why is he doing that? So he can say to his soul, he's basically looking in the mirror and saying, soul, look at the reason why I'm doing all this is for this, so I can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He doesn't just store it so he can use it for God's kingdom. He stores it so he can use it for his own, so he can enable himself to pour fuel in the fire for him to live for his own kingdom. And so this man, right, he doesn't just enjoy money. He doesn't just enjoy being a good farmer. He's not just enjoying um, all these different things that he has because he's successful at what he does. He worships it. He worships those things. You see the difference? He's not just enjoying those things and storing it well and using it for God's kingdom. Man, he's taking those things and storing up even bigger barns for himself because he worships it. His heart's not just saying, you know, God, I worship you, and that's going to inform how I live, and so now I'm going to store these things well by enjoying them and, and, and being a good store to that. No, he says, I'm going to worship this. He doesn't just love money. This rich man loves money because he loves himself. And money allows him, it enables him to live for himself. And so when this man says, I'm going to build bigger barns, he's basically saying, I'm going to live for myself. And so this man, his response, it shows us what his heart values most. He said, how shall I manage the things that I own? His response is, I'm going to build bigger barns. And in a nutshell, he says this, you know what? I'm going to build bigger barns, store more things, do all this stuff, so I can just kick back and enjoy life and he tells his soul that, okay? He's telling his heart that. He's not just like saying out loud, well, I'm going to enjoy life. He's telling his soul that. In other words, he's misleading himself to believe that these things, the abundance of his possessions, are actually bringing him life. And so this man, his response is huge. And the question, how shall I manage these things? He says, I'm going to build bigger barns. And look at God's response, though, in verse 20. God responds to this man. And it's, it's crazy how God responds. His first word is fool, right? He calls this man a fool. He's like, you're an idiot. You're a fool. And look what he says. He says, this night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Right? This man is experiencing death, not just earthly death, but eternal death. God says, fool, this night, your soul is required of you, right? You're going to lose your soul, is it because this man, right, this, this man, he claimed, he said, you know what, I'm going to tell my soul that I'm just going to relax, eat, drink, and be merry, kick back and relax. And God's response to him was saying, your soul 
It's not going to kick back and, and relax and enjoy life because you found life in things that actually bring you death. And for that, your soul's going to die. Not because you enjoyed those things, but because you worshiped them. And so you may say, well, isn't that unfair? This guy had some, uh, he had some, some money and he, he stored barns. Why in the world would he have to spend eternity in hell away from Jesus? Why? Because he had these rich things? Can I not be successful? God calls him a fool and says, this night your soul is required of you. Why is that? Why is it that this man thought that he was going to kick back and relax, and yet God is saying, your soul is actually going to die? And here's, here's that response. Here's why. All right? It's not because this rich man had money. This man isn't spending eternity away from Jesus because he had money. It's because money had him. Right? This man, his soul isn't dying because he was rich and because he had money. It's because the money had him. You see the difference? He didn't just own money. The money owned him. He was a slave to it. He was held captive by it. He didn't just enjoy it for being a good thing for what it is. He worshipped it for being an ultimate thing. Man, the reason why this man, the response is huge is because see what his heart values most. And what it values most is itself, and he's worshiping itself. Money for him is the ultimate thing. And from that, we see that his heart values that. And those things, right? Remember in the previous verse, it says in uh, verse fi- uh, 13, 15, sorry, it says, For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This man thought his life consisted in what he had. He thought his life was found in the abundance of his possessions. And because of that, where he thought there was life, it actually brought him death. And so from this, we have to understand this. We have to understand the difference between enjoying something and worshiping it. Okay? We have to understand the difference between enjoying something and then worshiping it. There's a huge difference here. This man had money. It's not bad. Money is not intrinsically or anything. It's not evil, right? And yet this man, the reason why he's having to spend eternity in, uh, in darkness is not because he had it. It's because the money had him. It's because he didn't just enjoy it for being a good thing. He worshiped it as the ultimate thing. He didn't understand the difference between enjoying something and then trying to find your life in those things and worshiping it and then pursuing it, right? To covet, to pursue it in a way that he should pursue God. And so this man, he didn't understand the difference between enjoying something and worshiping it. He didn't. And so we can look at this story, right? We can look at it and we can say, you know what? That sucks for that guy. Sucks for the rich man. And he was a wealthy farmer and he built up barns and now his soul died even though he thought he had life and all those things. And we can, sob, we can say, that's a, that's a sad story. And then we just go on living our lives. And if we miss the last verse, we can kind of walk away saying, well, that was a cool story, but my life's not changed. Look at this last verse, right? This story, remember, a parable isn't just something that we, we read and we say, oh, well, that was cool, right? It's to bring about a lesson. It's to teach us something. And so verse 21, it puts a mirror in front of us. This story is like a mirror, and it puts it in front of us and says, look at your own life now. And look what it says in verse 21. It says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Right? So God is saying, This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So this man lost his soul, and he's saying, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He's saying, If your heart 
right, is in the same place as this rich man. If you're storing up riches for yourself, earthly things, right, and you're not storing for yourself riches in God, man, you're going to be like the rich man. You're going to be just like him. In other words, if you have those things, right, if you own those things and you enjoy them, then good. Right? He's saying if you have those things, if you, have, if you own money, if you own, and I'm just using money as an example, but if you own something and you enjoy it, then good. But if it owns you and you worship it, then bad. See the difference? I, I own it, I enjoy it, that's good. It owns me, I worship it, that's bad. And he says the same result, this, the, the, the end of the story ends the same way for those whose hearts are in the same place as the rich man. Who they don't just enjoy money, they worship it. And so here's the question, and we posted it a little earlier. Um, but man, what's in your heart, right? If you think that you can just, and maybe you have an actual barn, I don't know, okay? But maybe just think about those barns in your life that you're storing, that you say, man, I just need to get more popular at my school or with my friends. If more people knew me, man, I would experience true life. If I just looked a certain way, I would just, ex- I would, I would just enjoy life. And we, we have these metaphoric barns in our lives that we try to fill up with all these things. And we say, the more we fill these up, the more money I have, the more success I have, man, I'm going to experience life. And what we see in verse 15 is that one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so you can try your whole life to fill up barns that people look at from miles away and say, I wish my barn looked like that. I wish I had barns that were that big and had that many, that many riches and those things in them. You can do that. But if you find your life in those things, man, you're heading towards death, right? You can enjoy those things, but if you build up barns for yourself, you try to fill it up with all these different things, with self-image, with how people perceive you, with your popularity, with relationships, with all those different things, and you think you find life in that, you're really going to find death. And so Jesus said that none of those things, right, none of those things give life. And we see that in the story. And that's why he says be on guard, right, against those things that you idolize, that, those things that you covet. So I'm going to write something on the board here. So I, I want you all to look up here. It's very important. I'm going to take a marker. I'm going to write something. I'm going to write four words. You ready for this? I'm going to write money. I might write a few words. Money, clothes, specifically Instagram. Gotta love the Instagram. And then a car. I wrote these four things on here because these are four things most of us we come in contact to every day, right? We all deal with money. Money passes through our hands. We all have clothes. Most of us have an Instagram. And a lot of us, we do have cars where we want a car someday, right? These things are all good, right? All, all these things are good. It's not bad to have money. It's not bad to have nice clothes. It's not bad to have an Instagram. It's not bad to have a car. But guess what? These four different things here, money, clothes, Instagram, car, you say social, anything, Right? These are all good things. And yet, if you're like the rich man, and you view this, 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 and this, not just as good things to be enjoyed, but as the ultimate things to be worshipped, 
It doesn't matter how good this sentence looks. It doesn't matter if this sentence turns into a paragraph, that turns into a chapter, that turns into a story that people look like, or they, they read it and they say, wow, he has the storybook life. I wish my life looked like that. I wish I could have a book that everyone read and everyone wanted to be and everyone wanted to be in and write, things like that. But guess what? If you don't view these things as good things, if these things, if you don't own them, but they own you, then at the end of the sentence, right, it's just a period. Right? There's nothing after this for you. There's no life to be had. This rich man in this story, he worshipped these things. He didn't just have them. They had him. He, he didn't just enjoy them as good things to be had, but he worshipped them as the ultimate things. He idolized them. These were his gods. And because of that, the end of his life, it didn't end in a comma right? that kept going on. It ended in a period of eternal darkness and death, separation from Christ. There was nothing good after that. And so for him, it doesn't matter. And for us, it doesn't matter how elaborate your story is, how many things that you can write down that you accomplished, how many things that you have. If those things have you and, right, and you haven't surrendered your life to God, then the end of the sentence is just a period. That's it. doesn't matter how good, that's it. But guess what? If we do something else if we put our faith in Jesus. Watch what happens. If these things, if we don't worship them, if they don't have us but we own them, right? And we worship God and he's our savior, he's our lord, not these things. Then guess what happens? This period goes away. And then there's a comma. That's a big comma, but it's a comma. There's a comma, right? The period it turns into a comma. And look what comes after. The sentence isn't complete now, right? Whenever there's a period, the sentence ends, but if there's a comma, you know there's more to read. So there's a comma here. And look here. If you are someone in here, right, or anyone who you say these things, right, they have me, we see that that, the sentence for you, it ends in a period, right? The sentence for that person, like the rich man, it ends in a period, but man, when we put our faith in Christ, that period starts into a comma that leads to the truth we'll find in uh, John 5.24. Let me read this. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but has crossed over from death to life. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but is crossed over from death to life. People who put their faith, not in the things that they own, but they surrender their lives to God, the sense doesn't end in a period for those people, right? The sense ends in a comma that leads to eternal life with Christ. And so it doesn't matter how the sense looks or how your story looks or anything like that, because when you own these things, Right? and you've given your life to God, the sense for you doesn't end in a period, it ends in a comma. Right? And for this man, the story, his life ended in a period. Why? It's not because he had these things. It's because they had him. But when we say, God, I surrender my life to you, I, I trust in what your son did on the cross, Jesus Christ, right? that he died for my sins, that there's nothing I can do to attain some level of righteousness through my works, but it's through what you've done on the cross, then the end of the sense it goes from period that ends in death to a common, to eternal life. 
And so we got to understand this, students. We got to understand. You got to know what has your heart. Know what has your heart. Right? I want you guys to know. I want us to know as a community. Know what has your heart. And so there's two different responses, two groups of people that I want to uh, confront and respond. Right? The first one, maybe you're in here and you say, I see this sentence up here. I see the money, the clothes, the Instagram, the car. And maybe for you, right, the end of the sentence doesn't end in a comma. It ends in a period. Maybe you're like the rich man and you say, what shall I do with the abundance of my possessions? And you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship myself with him. Right? I'm going to manage the things I own by valuing myself. And maybe you're in here and you say, it ends in a period. The question for you is this. Because you can write a story. You can write, right, we already went over that. H- however nice this looks. But in the end, if you don't have Jesus, it ends in a period. So the question is this. What has your heart? Right? If your life, if you say, my life, my story ends in a period right now, the question is, what has your heart? What has your heart? And then the second question is, What's keeping you from giving your heart to Jesus? Right? What's keeping you from saying, God, I surrender my life to you. I don't want these things to own me anymore. I want to give my life. I surrender that. What's keeping you from that? Because I promise you, you can hold on to these things as tight as you want like the rich man. You can build bigger barns in your life. But in the end, if you don't have Christ, then the life's just a period and there's nothing else for you after. And true life is found in Christ. And maybe you're in here, right? Maybe you're in here. And the period, it's not a period for you. Maybe you say, I, I have a relationship with Christ, right? Maybe someone says, I've surrendered my life to him. And the end of the sentence is actually a comma for you. The question for you is pretty similar. All right? What has your heart? What has your heart? What's in your heart? We've got to know those things that fight for the supremacy with God. We've got to know those things that are fighting for that. We've got to know those things that we want to covet and that we idolize, Right? As we've seen here, it says be on guard. So even if you're a Christian, man, what has your heart? Be on guard against those things, right? Be on guard against those. And so I want both groups to walk out with is you got to know what has your heart. Know what has your heart.